as always, it's just amazing. We're continuing in the book of Hebrews. I bet you knew that. It was a surprise to you. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. And we're in Hebrews chapter 3, and the further we go along in the book of Hebrews, the more excited I get. So I, I don't know. It just seems like every chapter, every passage is just full. And today I want to talk to you about something that is very near and dear to my heart. Preventing a hard heart. You know, if you've ever had heart trouble, ever told you you had heart problems, and I tell you now, the way to prevent having heart problems is, you know, your diet or exercise or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, there's a prevention is the best cure, they say. It's true spiritually more than it is physically. You know, sometimes genetically you can't do a thing about your heart problems. But spiritually, we've all been set up for a fall because we all have a sin nature and our hearts are not right with God from the very beginning. And yet God works in us and moves us towards himself and he opens up things for us to, to understand. And today I want to walk you through this passage in Hebrews chapter 3 to explain what the Bible says about having a hard heart and how to prevent it. And it's very, very interesting what happens here. So a little bit of... Uh, interesting things, some interesting things about this passage is that it refers back to the Old Testament, and it uses as an illustration some, some very familiar things to the, the readers of this original letter would have understood very well, and you do too if you've been studying the Bible any amount of time, or if you've just been vaguely paying attention, you probably are aware. So I won't go through all of the passages today in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to refer to them, but I'll tell you what they were about. So let's begin in verse 7. It says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray with their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be any of you, uh, not be in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it has been, as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the, uh, the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they, were, when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. <laughs> I planned to put the passage ahead of time, and I didn't do it, so now I'm just starting all over again. 
I want to take a little bit of this at a time. This is the quote that you hear here today if you hear his voice and so forth. That quote is from Psalm 95, and you can look in Psalm 95 and read that psalm, and you'll find uh, these words. And then where it says, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me in the, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, that refers back to Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. And so you might be familiar with this. Um, and pay close attention. This is an illustration of what took place with the children of Israel. We called them children of Israel. They were adults too, you know. Wait, you know what I'm saying? I remember the first time I heard it. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know the Bible. And I go to Sunday school the first time, and they're talking about the children of Israel. And I'm thinking, okay, there's a bunch of little kids running around in the wilderness. Well, there were a bunch of kids, but they're mostly adults as well running around in the wilderness. And, and so there, there they were. Think about this. You have been brought out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the wilderness. I just let that set in. This is what happened. Thousands and thousands of people. Some estimated a couple of million. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I, I can say this, that all of these people, Moses is trying to lead all of these people and out of Egypt. You can read all about it in the book of Exodus. But what you'll find is they... God brought them out of slavery into the wilderness. And he's setting them up to move into what he's called the promised land. And he's bringing you to the promised land. Now, that happens as an illustration for us to understand some things in this passage. And one of those things is God will bring you out of some places that you are having a difficult time with. And move you into a place that you're going to have another difficult time with. So when God's leading you through things and you end up in a place you don't want to be, you're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to believe God. And the people of Israel had a hard time with that. As a matter of fact, God brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness and they were so upset about not getting all the things they thought they needed, not having what they thought God should give them, that they said, we Wish we'd go back to Egypt. Now, that's crazy stuff. But crazy stuff happens. Well, people would be crazy to say that. Well, people are crazy. And so what happens is, and this could happen in your life. God brings you out. And he's, he's given everything you need to save you and take care of you the rest of your life. He promises he's going to take care of you. And you think, well, I know God promised that, but I'm not exactly getting everything I want, and everything's not going exactly my way, and I'm having difficulty. And, and then you begin to, to doubt God, and you begin to think, well, you know, God's not even there. He's not paying me any attention. And what you don't understand is that God has brought you through to where, right to where you are is where you need to be, and He wants to do something in your life, and He will do something in your life based on how you respond to Him. The children of Israel responded by not trusting God. And he said, okay, so you don't like the wilderness. So you don't like, it. I'm not giving you water when you think you need it. I'm not giving you enough of something to eat. So, I'm not, so you don't like what I'm doing. So let's just figure this thing out. How about you just wander around in circles for 40 years until you die? And there are people in this world who are just walking in disobedience to God 
And God's just letting them walk that way because their choice. They had to make a decision. And today I want you to understand the decision you're going to make. By the time we get to the end of this, they'll be really clear what decision that is. But it's like, are you going to walk around in the wilderness of your life, just continue to go in circles? It happens. As a matter of fact, I kind of think it happens to most people, it seems to me. Most people just wander around in circles, wondering why God isn't doing what he's supposed to do. I mean, how many people do you know that say only good things about how God has treated them? I know you got it here in this house. We could stand up and give testimony left and right about what God has done and how He's carried us through in the midst of the most difficult times of our lives. I've heard you, even the short time I've been here, praise God in the midst of difficulty. It's just wonderful to listen to because we know the truth. We know that God is in charge, and we know that God carries us, and that He holds us, and that He has the greatest things even yet in the future for us. We know that. Sometimes people just don't get it, and those people are called the majority. And they seem to be in charge of every, every avenue of social media, every avenue of, of news media, every avenue of any information we get comes through people who are wandering around in circles, and they don't have any sense. And that's a compliment. Do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me as in the day of trial. The day of trial in the wilderness. So the trial is a test. Are you going to trust me or not? It's a decision. You don't get to see ahead of time what's going to happen. You have to decide before you see everything. Some people say, show me God what you're going to do in my life and I'll decide if I'll follow you. And that's what you hear. Silence, because you're half crazy running around in the circles. You don't tell God what to do. He's God. He tells you what to do. And He knows everything, and you know the smallest part of something. A thimbleful, you know. It's amazing how much arrogance there can exist in such an empty cavity. He says, therefore I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. They always go astray. They do not know my ways. They do not know his ways. He just got through showing them. Bringing them out of Egypt. The ten plagues. Have you seen the movie? If you haven't read the Bible, at least you've seen the movie. They haven't seen his ways yet. He answered every one of the idols in Egypt with a plague. And he brought them out, split the Red Sea, and they walked over on dry ground. And said, I wonder where God is. I wonder what he's doing. I don't know. We don't have enough to eat. We don't have enough water. So well, you're not dead. You've had enough water, and you've had enough to eat. Maybe you didn't get what you want. Where's the filet mignon? I don't know. We get that way, too. We complain. It isn't that God doesn't provide food, shelter, and clothing for us. It's just the kind of food and the kind of shelter and the kind of clothing is not what we want. Have you noticed that? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Look at the birds. We're quite fascinated that you can look at birds year-round here. The birds don't even stick around in the cold where we came from. We look at the birds. There are birds everywhere. Look at them. Now, what are they talking about? I have no idea. But God takes care of them. And you, the Bible says, you are more important than the birds. Some people haven't caught on to that. That people are more important than birds. 
Just write that down. It's in the Bible. So he was angry because they did not know his ways. They've gone astray. They should not have gone astray. They knew his ways. They should have known his ways, paying no attention. And the greatest privileged group in the world could be sitting in this room. You may be the highest percentage, most privileged people in the world if you're sitting in this room because you have the privilege of knowing more about God's Word and God's ways than most people in the world. There are places in the world where they wouldn't let me do this. But you get to hear this every Sunday. I know that's scary, but true. The Word of God, studying the Word of God, you can have a copy of some of you, have several copies of the Word of God in your home. And people, you are, you are very privileged. You know His ways. You should know His ways. So how is it that we could go through life, and I'm going to pick on you a little bit, how could you sit here today and face that decision of whether you're going to wander around in circles the rest of your life or you're going to go forward where God wants you to go? The decision will be made today. You'll make it today. Your decision will be made today one way or another. You decide every time you're confronted with hearing His voice. Hearing His voice, that's what He says. Today, if you hear His voice, how would you hear God's voice? you ever heard God's voice? Don't answer out loud. Audibly, have you ever heard God's voice? I haven't. I don't think I could handle it. I got a couple of things about that. First of all, what does he sound like? I've never heard his voice before, so if I heard his voice, how would I know it's his voice? You with me? Is everybody with me on this? So if he did speak to me audibly, how would I know? I don't know that I would know. Now, he's never spoken to me audibly, so don't get up nervous and upset. You know, If he has spoken to you audibly, don't talk to me about it. We don't need to hear his voice audibly. We have his written word, clearly written. So many things he's given us in his word. He's spoken to us. He's screamed to us in his word. And you know, if you heard an audible voice and it went away, you say, I want to try to remember what it sounded like. What did he actually say? We don't have to do that. We got it in a book. You can go back and refer to it often, and it doesn't change. It's the same all the time. So God, if you hear his voice, well, what did he say? So many things that he said to us, and it all points to coming to him and surrendering your life to him. It's always that. It's always he's made a way for us anyway. So this illustration of these folks, these children of Israel, they didn't get to enter into the promised land because they rebelled against God and would not listen to his voice. He said he was angry, and he said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Now, next Sunday, this is a commercial. We've got, during the presentation today, there's a little commercial for next week. You want to come next week and hear chapter 4 about entering his rest. Oh, it is a humdinger. It's one of the most exciting chapters, and, and one of the most misunderstood chapters uh, that we'll cover. But... It's just good. So I'll, that was a commercial. Bring somebody with you. Bring popcorn. It's going to be exciting. He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. An evil, unbelieving heart? 
These are the children of Israel. These are the, these are the people of God, chosen by God. Now you think about that, and then you come back over this one and say, this is us. We're kind of in that category, aren't we? I mean, these, these are the people that come to church. These are the people who are interested in the things of God. We're the people. We are the people. Did you know you could be sitting here today and be a person with an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God? You know how I know that's true, that that can happen? Because it has happened. And people who in church, from the time before they were born, until the day they say, I've discovered I have an evil heart, and I haven't trusted Christ, and I've all my life been in church, and I, I didn't pay attention. <laughs> it happens. It happens. And sometimes it's my soothing voice that puts you out. Just puts you right out. You're thinking about something else. And once in a while, a pastor will go like this. And somebody will wake up and say, what happened? What happened? It happens. I know. So we do things to keep you awake, and that was one of them. But I want to say an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God is not uncommon. As a matter of fact, the majority of people have this problem. And that's, he says, take care, brethren. Now, for those of you who have this uh, theology that, you know, God picks people to heaven and he picks people to hell and we don't get a choice, they haven't read this passage. I said they haven't read this passage. He says, take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving, that you can take care to make sure that doesn't happen means you have a choice. And I'll walk on that in a minute, too. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin will tell you everything's okay. Don't worry about it. God doesn't want to ruin your fun. He wants you to do whatever you want to do. There's freedom. Even people will stand in services today in this very hour that we're in this service talking about how your lifestyle and the way you think and the way you live is fine. Everything, God loves everybody. And they haven't read the Bible or they've thrown it away. And I want you to know the Bible is designed to tell you how to have the greatest life you can possibly have and understand the greatest peace you could ever know in your heart. So the deceitfulness of sin is that sin will will give you everything that you want. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that's where you have the most fun. That's where you get the most fulfillment. That's how your life becomes the greatest life you could ever have on this earth. And that's the deceitfulness of it all. And your flesh will cry out that I'm happier when I'm doing these things, when I'm fulfilling what I want. That's when I'm the happiest. And you don't understand the smallest part of what it means to be happy. You think you're pursuing it. You think you're getting it. And the deceitfulness of it is, this is what the world says will make you happy. And you go along with it, and, you, and you're there. You, your pride tells you, I'm not that bad a person. I'm a great person. Evil, unbelieving heart, not me. Look at me. I'm a good guy. I'm a generous guy. I give, and I care about people. I volunteer, and I do things, and There's a term for that. La-dee-da. What are you going to do? Stand before God? 
at judgment, and you will. I rejected you and your son, Jesus Christ, and all that you gave for me. But boy, was I a good person when I was on earth. What did you do? Everything you did was from an evil, unbelieving heart. You did it to get credit yourself. You did it to make yourself feel good. You did it to make other people think you're somebody. And you're not anybody. Not by yourself you're not. Just thought I'd encourage you. You're terrible people. But you're in, you're in a good group of terrible people. But we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We fall terribly short. He encouraged one another. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing what the Bible says to do. Encourage one another while it's still today. Now, we can talk about yesterday, but it's gone. We can talk about tomorrow, but it's not here. But today is today. And, and you know when tomorrow gets here, you know what it's going to be? Today. So if you're alive, if you're breathing, if you're taking in nourishment, and you're, you have hope, you have hope. Now, I want you to do something. I was going to say for me, but it's actually for you. I want you to understand where you are in your spiritual life may just be that you're separated from God right now and don't know it. You, maybe you've got some ideas about uh, other beliefs and other things that you can believe, but those things are false, and they're deceitful. And that's what he says, that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And it seems like Today, when you hear the, the truth of God's Word and, and His mercy and His grace, and you just say, I'm not interested, your heart gets a little bit harder. Your heart gets a little bit harder. And I'll tell you a story in a minute about a man. I've had it happen more than once. That was so hard when he died, he wouldn't believe. He agreed with the gospel, but he wouldn't believe. It's the most curious thing to me. It says, the proof of genuine belief is, for we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, this is the evidence that you're genuinely a believer in Christ. You, you cross the finish line. To the end, through to the end, you will firmly rest in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. And it's not by works. You don't work to get there. You're there, and you work. You've become a, a new creation in Christ. He's changed you. He says, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. So there are two groups. We'll hit that in just a minute. There are two different groups. But for those who are partakers and provokers, which one are you? You know Christ, you've surrendered your life to Christ, He's changed your life, or you provoke God, you're a provoker. For who provoked Him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Everybody that came out of Egypt was a provoker. This is an illustration. Now, you don't get, don't get it all mixed up. This is an illustration. Israel didn't, those people that wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years didn't go, get to go into the promised land because they were all provokers of God. And God said, they will not enter into my rest. They're not going to get to go. So you take this illustration. 
Here's the invitation of God Almighty who says, I've sent my son to die for you so that you can have eternal life. If you'll place your trust in him and believe in him, you'll have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not perish, but those who provoke God choose to perish. And he says, I, I'm telling you, look what happened to Israel. People that didn't get to enter into the promised land, those people wandered around in the wilderness because they provoked God. You just don't get away with provoking God. Don't you be deceived that you will close your eyes in death and it's going to be okay if you provoked God. It won't happen. It won't happen. And I'm doing my best to prevent hard-heartedness today. Don't be deceived. I mean, and our church has been reminded this week, from one Sunday to the next, two people that we love dearly have passed on. And I hate to tell you this, but you're next. Oh, it may not be this week. And then again, it may. Your time's coming. My time's coming. But you don't want to be a provoker of God. He says, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? The Bible doesn't play games. Just tells it like it is and just puts it right out there. And it, that's why you skip over passages like this. You're looking for the stuff that will make you feel better. Don't skip over the stuff. That's, what I, that's why I preach through a book of the Bible. Whatever, whatever it says, that's what we're going to talk about. I don't pick and choose subjects. I, whatever it's going to say, that's what we're going to talk about. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? One of God's promises is that you will end up in hell if you provoke him. That's God's promise just as much as eternal life is. Eternal death is as much a promise because he will not let you enter and you can't go to heaven except the way God says you go to heaven. You can't. So here's the force. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. This is a truth that maybe you haven't thought of. And I want to lay it out for you. Pay close attention. This is one of those sermons you can't pull this part out and just say I said it. You got to say, got to put the whole thing out there, or we'll get in trouble. I don't like to be in trouble. You will not go to hell because of your sin, all the sins you've committed. You only go to hell because of unbelief. Jesus paid the price for all your sins, and for you not to believe in Him is all—that's what'll send you to hell. So I, I just can't place my trust in Christ. And I told you about that man. He, he just, he said, Pastor, he said, I believe everything you're saying is true. Just don't want to talk to you anymore about it. And he could not believe. I was, I don't know, in my 20s when I was the pastor of that church. And I'm going, what is not to get here? He got it here. But he didn't get it here. Because his heart was hard. I believe I've seen this on a few occasions where people could not believe anymore. They were past. They were, the old time preachers used to say, you send away your day of grace. 
But you get to the point where you've just become so hard to God you can't believe. But the Bible says you could, you could believe. You have a choice to make. And here's a, here's a decision. Hearing His voice is the first step. You've heard His voice. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God demonstrated His love toward us, toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. To as many as received Him, to them gave you power to become the children of God. These are all things that we know. We know these things. The invitation is given for you to come to Christ, to surrender your life to Christ. Ask Him to come in and be your Lord and Savior. Ask Him to take over your life. He'll do a much better job with it than you ever could. But then there are people, I don't know. If I do that, what will that mean? What will people think of me? I cannot even imagine the people in hell having that discussion. I know what people would think of me if I surrendered my life to Christ. I don't know what would, would change. I wouldn't be able to do the things in my life that I want to do. I wouldn't be able to go out and party like I, I like to party a lot. I can't go out and party if, if I surrender my life to Christ. I won't get to indulge my flesh. I won't get to do all these things if I surrender my life to Christ. And they think that's where the fun is. We're having the fun. I'll tell you what is one of the most amazing things. It doesn't matter which day you find yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your life to Christ. You can have peace and joy all the time. All the time. No matter what happens in your life. No matter what comes. And you know it's temporary. All of my suffering is temporary. It will be over. But if you don't know Christ, your suffering has not even started. And that's the deceitfulness of sin. You have a decision to make. You know, partaking and believing or provoking and being an unbeliever. That's your decision. It's very simple. After hearing what God has given to you. Partaking of Christ means belief, trusting in Christ alone for salvation. And here's a passage. I just picked this one out because I think it shows it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In Him, that is in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, as hearing His voice, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. I heard the good news of Christ, I believed in Christ, and I am sealed for eternity. God has me in His hand, and you can't take me out of His hand. I belong to Christ. Nobody can take you out of God's hand. You try it. Try to pry me out of God's hand all you want. You'll never be able to do it. I'm in. And when you're in, you're in. You can't be out if you're in. I learned that on Sesame Street. <laughs> if you're in, you're in. In is not out. People saying, well, you've got to be a good person to keep your salvation and all that. You're no good. Christ is the only one that's good. Now, here's a description of the provoking, unbelieving heart. It's from these passages, these verses, and I put them all together. And it's a hideous, hideous image, but I'm going to put it there for you. The provoking God, unbelieving heart, is a 
person, you harden your heart, you're going astray in your heart, not knowing God's ways, having an evil, unbelieving heart, falling away from the living God, and hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is a description of our world. This is the world we live in. And if you're part of that world, that's what you are. And there's a cure. There's a, there's a cure. It's nice when you have a terrible disease and the doctor says, oh, you got a terrible disease, but there's a cure. There's a cure for this hard heart. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all sin. Forgiveness is for you. And I want you to, if you're trying to figure it all out, just stop trying to figure it all out. And become to Christ like a child. Nobody else is in the room but you and God. As we pray together, just between you and God, if you'll settle this today, eternity will be sweet for you. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Don't do it. I beg you with all of my heart, Surrender your life to Christ. Somebody listen to me. Sometimes it's going to, and the way it's, the way it's looking these days, it, I just might preach your funeral. Percentages are pretty high for some of you, but I want to stand right here, and I want to tell everybody in attendance at your funeral that you are ready. You knew Jesus and you're in the presence of the Lord right now. That is the most joyful thing to know Christ, to enter into his presence. It's not for me. It's not even for your family. Although it's important, it's for you. Do you know Christ? Do you really want to know him? Do you really want to know you're forgiven? Well, I beg you to be reconciled to God today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and when you pray from a sincere and genuine heart, the transformation takes place inside, and you'll never be the same. Never be the same. Let's pray together. Father, I pray, Lord, for that one person who may be sitting here today saying, I want to make sure that I'm right with God. I don't want my heart to be hard. I don't want to be deceived by my sin. I want to know for certain that when I die, I will be in heaven with Christ. I want to know for certain that I'm forgiven. And if that's you today, and that's where you are in your life today, would you just talk to Jesus and tell him? Say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead, that I could be made right with God. And I want to be right with God right now, today. I come before you, Jesus, and ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. I put away everything else and trust you, and you alone. Come into my life, Lord, and be my Lord and Savior today. I trust you. And Lord, for those who are praying just now, genuinely transferring their trust to you, what a day. 
the today that you said in this passage is here. And it's a day of rejoicing in heaven. A day of celebration here for those who have surrendered to you today. And for all of us, Lord, who have known you for a while, we rejoice in the hope and the promise that you've given us that you loved us so much you gave your Son for us that we might have eternal life. So we rejoice in that today as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we stand for this invitation hymn. I invite you to come to make your profession of faith public if you'd like to do that today. If you'd like to talk to me sometime this week about it, I'm available for that. If you have something you want to pray about, you just come and pray. We'll pray together. If you'd like to unite with this church, I ask that we meet together and I can explain to you what the church is about. You can join by profession of faith and baptism in Christ. You can join by letter or statement of faith from a church of like faith and order. We do it that way, and we welcome you. We'd like to see a whole lot of people become part of this church. So I invite you to come forward and talk to me about that as God would lead you.